The title of this morning's message is Through the Eyes of Our Heart. This morning, I want to talk to you about the power of spiritual eyesight and the effect that it has on our hearts. Now you might be thinking, what do you mean by spiritual eyesight? Am I talking about being able to see visions? Not exactly. But I am talking about the power of what we see, not so much with our physical eyes, but in the spirit of our mind. In Ephesians 4, verses 23 and 24, it says this, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now the word renewed actually means to be renovated. And when something is renovated, we have to take out the old crummy stuff before installing the new good stuff. In fact, we can't really take advantage of the new good stuff until we get rid of the old crummy stuff and it's removed. Just adding new good stuff to the old crummy stuff would be inconvenient and difficult to maneuver. Imagine just adding completely new cupboards in front of the old ones. It wouldn't make any sense and it would just create awkward and difficult circumstances. We'd be trying to climb over the new cabinets to get what was in the old cabinets. <laughs> so combining the two just would not work well. In fact, it would actually hamper our freedom to move about. And that is a pretty good example of what happens in our brain. We add new information to our mind, but the old information is causing us difficult and awkward circumstances. It literally interferes with our freedom to move about. So to get the most benefit from the new cabinets or the new information, we absolutely must tear out the old stuff first and then replace the old stuff with the new. This is a normal process that takes place in the life of a believer all of the time. We are constantly updating our information with the truth of God's Word and trying to apply it to our lives. But the truth is we very often have problems trying to get the new information to actually work in our lives. And that's because we've simply added new information to all of the old. It's sort of like trying to add the old covenant to the new. They work completely different from each other. They don't actually work together. <laughs> in fact, they compete with each other. Because we can either do the law in order to become righteous, or we can receive righteousness as a gift but we cannot do both at the same time. The Old Covenant way of salvation produces striving and insecurity in the life of a believer, but the New Covenant way of grace produces rest and peace. The Old Covenant way of salvation used to be true, but it's no longer true. And when we combine what is no longer true with the new truth of God's grace through Jesus, we can find ourselves having a hard time making the new truth that we've learned effective in our heart and life. We don't end up in the new way of rest and peace until we first get rid of the old way of thinking and believing. And that's really Paul's point in Ephesians 4. Not only do we need to learn the truth found only in and through Jesus, but we need to get rid of all of the old ways of thinking, both the religious thinking as well as the pagan thinking. And yes, believers usually have some of both. 
as is evidenced by the fear of punishment or retribution from God that's in their heart. So many believers are haunted by the fear of quote-unquote missing God. They believe that they can somehow undo their salvation or incur God's wrath because of their mistakes. That is not a true likeness of Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father. Jesus came into humanity because God so loved us, not because God was so mad at us. A mad and angry God who is looking for an opportunity to hurt you is really a pagan idea. Pagans would offer sacrifices to their so-called gods in an effort to appease the anger of their gods and to convince their gods to withdraw their displeasure and then turn and bless them with good things. But pagan gods never operated on what was best for humanity, but what was best for themselves. These kinds of pagan ideas often still bleed over into the ideas and beliefs about the true and living God, which is why Paul says we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Now, Paul doesn't just tell us to, quote-unquote, renew our mind. He tells us that this renewing that he wants for us takes place in the spirit of our mind. In other words, our mind is where we hear spiritual thoughts and receive spiritual understanding, as well as hearing our own carnal natural thoughts and, of course, the obvious and occasional demonic thoughts. Often believers are afraid of demonic thoughts, which is exactly how Satan wants us to react to them. But James tells us plainly in chapter 4, verse 7, how to deal with demonic thoughts. James 4, 7 says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. To resist means to stand in opposition to, and the word devil means false accuser or liar. So we are supposed to stand in opposition to the lies and deceptions and the accusations of Satan. And when we do, he runs as fast as he can away from us. Because the truth is, he is already a completely defeated enemy. But if he can convince us to listen and pay attention to his lies, then he can keep us from walking in all that God has for us through the power of his deception. And that is really his only true power, deception. That's why it's so important for us to submit ourselves to God first. When we submit ourselves to God, we come under his grace. We come under his truth. We come under his victory. We don't submit to God as if he's some kind of tyrant who demands obedience. God the Father invites us to submit ourselves to his unconditional love and grace through Christ. When we see ourselves the way God sees us, which is completely righteous, holy, blessed, and victorious, then Satan won't be able to trick us into partaking of sin, fear, or condemnation. And when we see Satan the way God sees him, we can stand against him easily and make him run away from us. We have no reason to be afraid of Satan, but he has every reason to be afraid of us. We are one with the God of the universe who just happens to be our dad. 
And we are the ones who are presently seated in heavenly places inside of Jesus, far above all principality and power. Not just some, but all principalities and powers. We are far above Satan and all of his stupid flaming arrows. The Apostle Paul also tells us how to handle demonic thoughts and arguments in 2 Corinthians 10.5. I have that for you in the Passion Translation. And it says this, We can demolish every deceptive fantasy or argumentation that opposes God. And we can break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the Anointed One. So basically, this scripture says that we have power and authority over all the thoughts that enter into our heads and that some of the thoughts we think are not from us. Some are from bad programming that we picked up from the world. Some we acquired from our life experiences while growing up. And some are from demonic influences. But regardless of the source, we have complete power and authority over them. We don't have to let ungodly thoughts control us or torment us. We can, through our rightful and powerful authority, take control of what we think. We can cast down every vain imagination and make it bow to the truth that we find in Christ. Years ago, I heard a minister describe how he handled intrusive thoughts. Intrusive thoughts are thoughts that are not coming from the real us. The real us is our spirit man, who God created in righteousness and true holiness. So any thought that is contrary to our righteousness and true holiness is intrusive, and we do not have to put up with them. This minister said that when he was bothered by intrusive thoughts, that he would simply picture these intrusive thoughts as being small black imps that came to harass him. So in his mind, he would see himself grabbing the ear of that intrusive little imp, and he would imagine himself dragging it down a flight of stairs, making sure it felt every bump on its little hiney, and when he reached the basement, he envisioned himself opening up a wood-burning furnace and throwing the intrusive little imp into the midst of it, completely destroying it. And then he would praise Jesus for his complete victory over the intrusive thoughts. He did this repeatedly until the intrusive thoughts went completely away. And they did eventually go completely away. Now this makes complete sense when you realize the truth of what the book of James says. Resist the devil and he will flee. He will run away from you. So how do we resist the devil's intrusive thoughts or even our own lustful intrusive thoughts? And by lustful, I mean thoughts of desire that we don't want. That would include thoughts of food, that's not on our eating plan, or thoughts of revenge on people who have hurt us, romantic thoughts about someone who doesn't belong to us, thoughts of gambling with money we can't afford to lose, thoughts of smoking or drinking or taking drugs when we are trying to quit. All of these thoughts are intrusive thoughts. We can have all different kinds of thoughts that we don't want, but we really do have complete power and authority over them all. 
We can demolish the strongholds of thinking and believing that try to sabotage our lives. Now you might be thinking, what does this have to do with the eyes of my heart? <laughs> and the truth is, it has everything to do with the eyes of our heart. What the minister I told you about did was visualize confronting his intrusive thought as if it was a dark limp. And then he treated the thought as if it lived in a reality that he couldn't see with his physical eyes. So he simply used the eyes of his heart, his imagination. Now, for some people, the word imagination itself creates a picture in their understanding that we're talking about things that are not actually real. But that's not the case at all. This particular minister understood that, one, his intrusive thoughts did not originate from himself. He didn't want to think those thoughts. And two, that those thoughts came from a real spiritual source. So what he did was he treated the thoughts as coming from a real spiritual source. And then he dealt with them in a real spiritual way. By seeing himself with the eyes of his heart, which are found in his mind and his imagination, he applied spiritual truth and authority to the thought. By picturing the thought as a little demonic imp and then seeing himself actually destroy it in a furnace. When he used his imagination in this way, it affected his heart, which is the place of deep belief. The eyes of our heart are found in our imagination. Whatever is in our imagination affects our heart, which is the place of deep belief. <laughs> we can see this truth in Romans 1 verse 21. In this particular passage, the Apostle Paul is explaining why every person is without excuse in regards to their sinfulness and their knowledge of God. He says that no one will be able to stand before God and claim that they didn't know that God was real or that they didn't know what they chose to do was actually wrong <laughs> because God says he has revealed these things to them, but they simply chose not to pay attention to it. Romans 1.21 says this, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We can see in this scripture that what happens in our imagination directly affects our heart. Whatever affects our heart directly affects our lives because we don't live out of what we know in our head. We live out of what we really believe in our heart and our hearts believe what we see and what we feel and what we experience. I remember when I was trying to receive my healing for fibromyalgia, I kept telling God, I'm believing as hard as I can. <laughs> I don't know how to believe any harder than I'm already believing, Jesus. <laughs> and I didn't understand why I wasn't apprehending what I knew. I knew that I knew that I knew that Jesus had already given to me. But God's word to me was, keep believing. He knew that what I already knew in my head to be true would eventually overcome what my heart perceived to be more real, which was physical pain. This is where I think as believers we often get stuck, right between our head and our heart. Our head is completely convinced of the truth. We can't believe any harder than we already believe, but our heart, the place of deep belief, isn't yet fully persuaded. <laughs> the picture God gave me about this was that of taking a pill with water. Sometimes when I take a pill, it will literally get stuck in my throat halfway down. 
and for no apparent reason. <laughs> so I just have to keep drinking water and keep swallowing in order to move it through my esophagus and into my stomach. The truth can be like that for us. We can accept the truth as the truth. We can swallow it, so to speak, hook, line, and sinker, but it gets hung up on something on the way down. But if we keep swallowing, if we keep taking in the truth over and over again, swallowing the truth over and over again, it will eventually move beyond whatever is hindering it. So one of the ways to get beyond the stuff that keeps our heart from being fully persuaded by the truth is to keep believing. <laughs> keep swallowing. Keep going over the truth of God's word again and again and letting the Holy Spirit persuade our heart. It really is a great picture. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth we need like a medicine that we need to swallow. <laughs> and when we choose to take it in and swallow it, the Holy Spirit acts like the water and enables us to move that truth down into our heart by overcoming whatever belief was hindering us from being fully persuaded in our heart. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to us over and over and over again and to enable our hearts to be fully persuaded. And sometimes it can take a while. <laughs> it can take a while to convince our hearts of a particular truth. It's sort of like a round of antibiotics. One dose is not enough to kill off all the bad bacteria. That's all the bad bacteria that's causing us some kind of difficulty. In the same way, we sometimes need Jesus to tell us the same truth again and again and again in order to get rid of all the bad programming we have in our heart. So, one of the ways the Holy Spirit can reveal the truth to us so that our hearts can be fully persuaded is by seeing that truth with the eyes of our heart. And the eyes of our heart are located in our imagination. Now, for some people, when you heard me say that, you might have thought something like, oh great, I don't even have an imagination. <laughs> this, of course, is a complete lie. <laughs> Everything we do, we do because of what's stored in our brain. And what's stored in our brain are pictures. Our brain doesn't record events or useful information in commentary form. It stores everything in pictures. Your last doctor's appointment is stored in pictures. You can see or remember the receptionist, the doctor, the person drawing your blood, and even yourself using your own insurance card or credit card. Everything we do is stored in pictures. Now, sometimes men in particular <laughs> will say, I don't have an imagination. <laughs> but if you ask them for directions, they will recall and see the information in pictures. They will tell you the highway number. They can see the gas station that's on the corner where you need to turn or the second set of train tracks that you need to go over slowly. They will tell you what they see in their memory. That's imagination at work. It's actually very ordinary and we use it constantly. It's not weird or spooky. It's just the way God designed us. What we physically see is recorded in our brain like a movie or sometimes even like a snapshot. The more important something is to us though, the more emotion that's involved in that memory, the more easily we can recall and see 
that particular memory. And the truth is, we believe what we see is real, and so does our heart, the place of deep belief. According to a world-renowned neuroscientist named Bo Lato, what we see with our physical eyes and what we see with the eyes of our heart, our imagination, are both equally effective at convincing both our head and our heart that something is real or true. Bo Lato does research about human perception and what it takes to change somebody's beliefs. Now, this is really important. What we see with the eyes of our heart is just as powerful as what we see with our physical eyes. Now, this is true whether we believe it or not. Our heart believes what we see and experience. What we see with our imagination is just as real to our hearts as if we had seen it with our own physical eyes and went through it ourselves. So why not use this truth to our advantage? When we know that we're struggling with a truth that's basically, you know, caught in our throat, <laughs> why not use the eyes of our heart to help us move that truth down into our heart? Or if we have sabotaging beliefs that keep us from walking in all that God has provided, why not use the eyes of our heart to let God change our perspective and therefore our lives? Also, using the eyes of our heart can not only change our beliefs, but it can actually physically change our brains and our bodies too. Science has discovered that if a stroke patient who has been adversely affected on one side of their body, if they simply imagine using that limb over and over again throughout the day, imagine that they're moving the limb they can't actually move, that the brain responds accordingly as if it were actually moving the brain begins to repair the area of the brain where the damage was done. Our thinking, our seeing with our imagination, absolutely affects our brain and body. Now, according to an online article, there was a quadriplegic who, through imagination practice, transformed his entire way of life. Matthew had a silicone chip implanted into his brain that enabled him to communicate with a computer through thought alone. After just four days of imagination practice, in other words, using his thoughts and his imagination, he could move a computer cursor on a screen. He could open email, he could play a computer game, and he could even control a robotic arm just with the power of his imagination. It is truly amazing. Our brains respond to what we think. You can get smarter by what you see. You can change your body by what you see in your heart. I hope that through this information that I've been able to, to at least convince you that the power of imagination is not just for kids. It's the way God has magnificently designed us. He gave us internal eyes that can see beyond the natural realm and into the realm of endless possibilities, a place without limits or limitations. Let's face it, a man who cannot move is moving. He's doing things he could never do, something by the power of his mind and brain and imagination. 
God has given us eyes that can see the throne room of God right now, right here. He gave us eyes that can see ourselves jumping and leaping and praising God, even if our physical legs are presently giving us trouble. In one study, they actually had people exercise for 20 minutes in their brain. <laughs> Guess what? Their body responded as if they had actually done the physical exercise. That's amazing. When we understand that our brain has the ability to change our physical bodies, we begin to understand how God has designed us to participate in using the eyes of our heart to change things. So seeing with the eyes of our heart is one of the most important things we can do for ourselves. With the eyes of our heart, we can see Jesus now. We can spend time beholding Jesus and all of his beauty and truth as if it were happening right here in our heart. Our heart says it's real, it's true, and it changes, it changes us. Now you might be thinking, how exactly do I do that? <laughs> how do I make that work in my own life? The easiest way to start is to recall a memory and then pray and invite Jesus to enter into it, especially if it's a painful memory because he's the one who heals all the painful places in our life by speaking the truth to us. But you can also start by reading your Bible. Pick a story and then place yourself in the story in your imagination. Imagine the scene in as much detail as possible. Engage as many of the five senses as you can with the eyes of your heart. Who is there with you? Which emotions are you feeling? That's really important. What emotions are you feeling? Because your heart likes to believe what you feel, even if you're pretending. <laughs> whatever you see, whatever you can imagine, what you can participate in will change your heart. What are you wearing? Is there a smell in the air? One of the memories I have from when I was a kid is my grandmother always, when she came to visit, always made fresh cut peaches. <laughs> and every time I think that memory, I smell peaches. What we experience in our imagination becomes real to our heart. So as you step into that scene, as you step into that environment, what do you hear? What's going on? You have to use all of it, just as if you were really there. When we stop to think about it, our brains actually answer these questions for us. But we don't normally pay attention to the pictures that our brain automatically creates for us, but we can. One of the things that used to happen to me as a receptionist, as I would talk to people I had never met. And you know what my brain did? It would create that person in my mind. Now, I didn't actually think it in my conscious thinking, but my subconscious would actually create a person to go along with the voice. Of course, I was never right. <laughs> when they showed up, I was like, wow, you don't look anything like I thought you would. <laughs> but you see, my brain did for me what it does naturally. It fills in all the information I don't have. So when you step into a memory, you can see the weather outside. You do know what's in the air. Your brain has recorded all of that so that you can experience 
experience that reality again. So because of what our brain does for us naturally, we can use and participate in and use the eyes of our heart to see that reality again. Don't you like to go over something that's funny? When something happens to us and it cracks us up, we like to tell it again. <laughs> we like to experience the fun again. <laughs> we need somebody new to practice that, but we like to relive that which makes us happy. That's using the eyes of your heart. So we can use the eyes of our heart to see Jesus healing the leper or see Jesus raising the little girl from the dead or we can even see ourselves receiving the healing that we ourselves may need. Early in Andrew Womack's life, long before he raised his own son from the dead, he saw himself raise the dead in the stories in the Bible. Andrew himself tells the story about going through the Gospels over and over again, making himself the recipient of every healing and every resurrection. He entered into that in a real way. He saw himself as dead. <laughs> he saw him himself experiencing the joy of coming back to life. He saw himself in a real way experience what the eyes of his heart could see, just as if he had really been there. And then after he went through the Bible and received everything that Jesus did, he also went through again and saw himself as Jesus, distributing the goodness and kindness and love and healing and resurrection power of Almighty God through him. The same Jesus that walked on this earth is the same Jesus that's in us. There's no reason we can't do exactly what he has done that we know about. But you know what keeps us from doing it? Our heart. <laughs> Our heart doesn't believe we can do it. <laughs> Our heart doesn't believe that it can really happen. Our heart is not fully persuaded. So what Andrew did was he made himself relive. He saw himself hearing what Jesus said. He saw himself feeling the emotions of how much joy would I have if I had been raised from the dead? How much joy, how much happiness, how much gratitude would fill my heart if I knew Jesus healed me and I was a leper? What would it do to my heart? The eyes of your heart change everything. They change everything. And that's what Andrew found out. Andrew discovered, <laughs> when at a time he didn't know he was going to need, that his heart was fully persuaded when it came to raising the dead. Something most of us go, oh boy, I don't even know if that's possible. <laughs> but Andrew has not only raised his own son, he's raised his own wife. All because he took the time. And yes, this takes time. You have to spend time with Jesus. You have to spend time letting Jesus be real to you in such a way that it changes your heart. When you know that you know that you know in your heart that you are healed. Healing is easy. Andrew had taken the time to experience resurrection power in the eyes of his heart. He took the time to experience healing and freedom and deliverance and hope. All of the goodness of God. He did all of that and it changed him forever. The eyes of his heart have changed his place of deep belief to the extent that even all of these years later, he raises people from the dead. 
because his heart knows that it knows that it knows this is the reality this is the truth of who i am in christ this is the reality that i want to live in our hearts aren't fully persuaded that's the truth our hearts just aren't fully persuaded yes we know the truth in our head but unless we take time to see jesus ourselves and enter into that in an experiential way with the eyes of our heart we can change anything it really is the place of impossibility made possible it really is the place that changes everything not just in our emotional heart but in our physical body and in our physical brain what we see has the ability to change everything about us so when the time for andrew came when he needed his heart to be able to believe raising the dead was easy it was ready his heart was ready his heart was already convinced that he could raise the dead because his heart had seen him do it over and over and over again he had experienced it in the spirit of his mind and to his heart it was completely real andrew didn't know when he started persuading his own heart by entering into the stories in the bible in his imagination that he would actually need to raise his own son from the dead but he was sure glad he was ready he was very thankful that God had taught him this that the eyes of your heart changes your heart whatever you see becomes real to your heart the place of deep belief our hearts the place where we believe deeply has eyes <laughs> and it believes whatever it sees and experiences is real so we can use this truth to our own advantage to change our own heart to help move the truth we know in our head that seems to be stuck somewhere in our throat down into a place of deep belief where nothing is impossible to our hearts seeing is believing and a believing heart can take hold of any and all of the promises of God. We have everything we need for life and godliness, but if we can't see it with the eyes of our heart, we'll never apprehend it. We have to see it in the place where we experience the Lord. My encouragement is simple. Take time to experience Jesus in the spirit of your mind see yourself having coffee with jesus at the kitchen table asking him questions maybe telling them some jokes see yourself with jesus at the beach watching the dolphins playing in the sand imagine that he's physically present with you when you're driving talk to him like you can actually see him because the truth is you can you can see jesus with the eyes of your heart and the wonderful thing about jesus is that he is actually present and he actually will interact with you and your heart he will open things to you that you've never dreamed of he can so change your heart that you can actually begin to see yourself walking in all the power and love and goodness of our father our heart has the ability to change our heart has the ability to keep us from walking in all that God has called us to walk in. But we don't have to be in a place where our heart is against us with old pagan beliefs and old religious garbage. Jesus can remove all of that. 
and help us to see ourselves in the glory and reality of who we really are in him. Amen? Father, I thank you that you don't make anything hard. <laughs> All we have to be able to do is imagine seeing you, letting you really show up and really talk to us and really show us the truth. You didn't make salvation hard. <laughs> you didn't make knowing you and experiencing you hard. You made it so easy even a child can see you and experience you and know the reality of who you are. Father, I ask that during this time when we are all distant from one another, that we would take the extra time to have coffee with Jesus, to invite Jesus into the car with us when we go to our appointments or we go to the grocery store, that everywhere we go, your presence would be a reality. We would purpose to see you and to hear you everywhere we are. And Father God, I thank you for the word, the, the truth of your word. Because when we understand how easy you meant everything to be, we can enter in and partake freely. And Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.